Hello, and welcome to We The Project's Roll Call. I am your host, Matt McManus. I've had the privilege of talking to many different professionals in entertainment, directors, producers, comedians, graphic designers, all of it. We talk about their journey. We get insight into their process. We get golden nuggets of wisdom of theirs to share with our listeners. And it's always interesting. Everyone's path is always different. And entertainment is such an interesting and valiant thing to embark on. But today is a very, very special episode because we are chatting with a very good friend of mine. He goes by the name of Anakin. I know him as Ricardo. He is Southern California's own LA-based electronic music producer, DJ, and artist. And he's got his own very unique story and sound. You're never as bad as you think you are, and you're never as good as you think you are. You're somewhere in the middle. Just stay humble, keep it moving. Don't let those negative thoughts come in your way because you've been doing great this far. His rise has been nothing short of a pleasure to watch. His hustle has been inspired and inspiring. His path has been different, unlikely, non-linear, and dope. Whenever I get a text from him, I know it's going to either be a new song worth hearing, an opportunity worth sharing, magic, really. And I just want to thank you for joining us today, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I was a part of the New York City mid-90s rape scene. So dance music has always been a big deal to me. And I thought it died out, you know, after that whole moment took place. I really had no idea that there was this happening, not just in the desert, but globally. But LA was kind of the home base of it, you know, in America, for sure, as far as I, as far as I was concerned. And I was amazed by these young men and women just getting together and dancing, you know, by the thousands in the middle, in the middle of the desert. And we partied together for about six years. We would go to just about any event we can get our hands on. Ricardo obviously went to more of them. He was so obsessed with the music and it was so inspiring to me as a friend, but also as a fan of the music that there were there was someone out there that I could be friends with that liked and loved that culture as much as I did. And it was a, a gift to be able to be welcomed into a crew of people that were open-minded, like-minded, bright soul and spiritual people. Um, and so Ricardo was a raver, is a raver, will always be a raver. I'd like to just hear about how that started for you. you know, what was your first interaction with dance music and how did that obsession start for you? So my first interaction with dance music, physical interaction, like my first rave ever was EDC 2010, which was the last Electric Daisy Carnival that was held in Los Angeles. And, you know, for, for people who don't know what the Electric Daisy Carnival is, it is Insomniac's flagship event. It's the king of all raves in America. So yes, I went to UCLA. I had a group of friends who frequented raves back then, but I had never been. And one day, my friend Brandon just hit me up and he was like, hey, we're going to be going to this event. It's a rave. I know you've expressed disinterest in that scene, but I truly think that you should come because I know you really well and I have a feeling you're going to enjoy yourself. So I thought about it. I'm like, you know, I'm not I, I had this preconceived notion of what a rave was and who ravers were. But I said, you know what? the hell with it. I'll, I'll go. I'll check it out. 
And so I get to the Coliseum and I realize this place is full of pure magic. Everyone that I came across was so pure, so friendly, non-judgmental, so welcoming, literally just the whole place was just exuding love. And then I had never heard that style of dance music before. It, well, basically, I just I had never heard that style of music before at the time. And it, it went everything from what, like Progressive House to the precursors of Big Room to Trance. And being in a setting with so many warm, welcoming individuals who just turned into your best friend upon first meeting. In my life, I had never experienced anything like that. It literally changed my life when I went there. And I didn't foresee myself feeling so welcomed by a community that I would want to, in turn, dedicate the rest of my life to giving back to the community that gave me so much over, like, what, a six-year period where I was just going to events every single weekend, whether it was at the Palladium or, you know, Exchange LA, Sound Nightclub, any massive festival. I just really wanted to dedicate myself to making electronic music to see if I could touch someone's heart as much as those DJs that I saw back in the day, their music touched mine. Yeah. And this is, this is why I asked this question and you mentioned EDC. Um, did you play EDC last year? I did. So, you know, on this crazy journey of mine, EDC 2010 being my first festival ever, then I basically went to every single Insomniac event that they threw, whether it was a, a club event or a festival event. And then I started going to Coachella. I went to Coachella, what, like eight years in a row. So 2018, I actually played Coachella's Umatent. And then mm-hmm. the following year, which was last year, everything came full circle. And I got to perform at EDC, which was, again, the very, very first rave that I ever attended. So it's been quite a ride. Yeah, it's been nothing short of magical to watch. It's amazing. You know, he introduced me to Dead Mouse, And last year, you opened up for Dead Mouse, right? Yeah, that's correct. Well, this was last September, I performed at Exchange LA with Dead Mouse under his test pilot moniker, which is like a, a harder hitting style of techno compared to actual Dead Mouse, but it's still Joel Zimmerman. So yeah, so I opened and closed for him there also released on his label Mousetrap, which is a trip in and of itself. It's been a pretty awesome journey, just really grateful for how things have gone. And again, really grateful to have found this community because it, it literally changed my whole life. And now that we know where it started, where the inception took place at EDC mm-hmm. and, and kind of where it sort of arrived, which is, you know, some of these last large things like EDC, like Dead Mouse, like the Wonderland parties, etc. There's obviously been a journey and, yes. it, and it comes with it comes with hard work. It comes with making choices, both easy and hard and it comes with training it comes with hard work every night until the sun comes up but you weren't always doing this when i met you when i met ricardo we were both actors so i believe it was 2014 i had been pursuing acting for for quite a while and i was on a lot of really cool tv shows you know big tv shows within a couple movies so me and uh, a few of my friends we all embarked on making a short film that short film in 2013, it got accepted into Cannes Film Festival. So out of nowhere, we found ourselves in Cannes, France, as official entrance to 
the Cannes Film Festival, and we were one of two American films in the entire festival. So we were the short film part, and Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara's Ain't Them Body Saints feature mm-hmm. film. That was the the feature film. That was the other American film in it. Yeah, so everything was cool, but but somewhere I just didn't really feel fulfilled going on auditions constantly, getting rejected to my face, seeing mm-hmm. seeing how seeing how casting directors were trying to pigeonhole me and, and have me play all of these stereotypical roles. There was something inside of me that felt a bit empty in this pursuit. You know, I'm not knocking acting at all, but no. for me, I wasn't being personally fulfilled, right? And out of nowhere, I just came across this interview of this this DJ that I had never heard, but I remembered seeing his name on the Coachella bill earlier that year. So I was like, okay, let me just read this interview, see what this guy is about. And he mentioned this music production school in Burbank called Icon Collective. So for anyone listening, like I make this really progressive style of techno, melodic techno and techno. It it sounds super cool. You should definitely check it out. Everybody who I was researching from this school, they were all in the trap music or bass music world. And I had never heard of any of them. So I kept this school in mind and I was like, okay, it's not recording engineering. This is strictly music production. Like teaching you how to make music using a com- uh, using computer software using a DAW. So I just kept tabs in the school and then somewhere along the next what 5 months or so mm-hmm. every single alumni that they had spoken about on the Icon Collective alumni webpage blew up that year just like Jaws, Slander, Kazo, they all just had massive massive years in the bass music scene and in in just electronic music in general so that's when i said wait a minute what's going on at this school you know like like what what what, what's in the water that they're drinking over there so i hit up a bunch of friends who i had in the music industry i asked them about icon collective and they said that it's a it's a real program it's a really good program, but you have to be really serious if you want to go there. And, you know, throughout the years, going to events, going to festivals, all of my friends used to say to me at these events or text message me, hey, I think you'd be really good at DJing or, hey, it's too bad you don't know how to make music using Ableton or Logic or it's too bad you don't know how to make electronic music because we really think that you'd be good in this field. And I was I read the interview, found Icon, started thinking about all of these things that my friends were saying to me, including you. Mm-hmm. And I realized, wait a minute, maybe these are little signs, you know, maybe omens. these are omens. Yeah. Telling me that though, you know, telling me something along the lines of like, you know, if I, if I continue to pursue acting, who knows, maybe I will be really successful, but I will feel empty inside. I love electronic music. I love everything about the culture. Maybe I should just take a chance, take a leap of faith, put everything aside and just go to this school, apply to the school, see if I get in. And at the end of that year, I decided that's what I was going to do. And then I got in. And for all of 2015, it was an extremely intense program. Um, I had no idea how to use Logic at the time. I had no idea how to use Ableton at the time. Um, But once I was done, I was an expert in both of them. And yeah, the rest is history. 
you're also a very specific person in, in terms of the things that you like. You know, you like anything having to do with outer space in general. You, mm -hmm. you know, you like progressive house music. You like techno. You've been able to design a very unique sound. There's one thing that sets people aside in any craft, in any art, is a very unique, specific voice. And how did you arrive at your sound? So this style of progressive house, progressive techno that I make, I was introduced to something that was sort of similar when I went to the Desert Hearts Spring Festival of 2015. I remember it was nighttime. I went to the stage. There's only one stage there that plays 24 hours of music for three days straight. There was this one specific set that just stood out. And when I closed my eyes, I, I could just envision traveling through space. And I'm like, all right, this is the soundtrack to interstellar travel. I don't know what this is. I don't know what it's called. I just know that I'm in music school right now and I had no idea what I, I truly, what, what my sound was going to be. I had no idea what I wanted to make. But once I heard that, I said to myself, I'm gonna dedicate the rest of my year here at Icon Collective, figuring out how to make this. And I was pretty much one of only two students in the entire school who even remotely wanted to make something that sounded like that, that wasn't trap music, that wasn't bass music, you know? And hey, I, bet you, I bet you felt, you felt a pressure on some level to adhere to the norms around you. Oh, you absolutely. Know? Absolutely. How did, you, I, how did you fight that? I, so I jokingly called that school the bass trap, at least when I was there, <laughs> because, because there were so many kids like, I met so many kids when I first started school there that had all of these big, really wonderful, cool ideas about what kind of music they wanted to make. But then at the end of the program, all they were doing was trap music and bass music, like dubstep and stuff like that. So once I heard that set, everything changed for me. Bass music didn't even exist to me because I knew I had a feeling that Somehow, some way, this style of music, which is like a, a little bit more mature sound, mm -hmm. sure. was, was going to have a wave in America. And fortunately, I was correct. And me and along with like some other artists like Rinson, who, who I also went to school with, like, we both made that style of music and we both kind of caught a wave. It was difficult not to conform. It mm -hmm. was difficult being around peers saying to you once they heard your music saying to you like what the hell is this i don't understand this at all you know right. but they're, they're they're just coming from like a, a a trap and bass music perception they have never even heard of that but yeah it was difficult but i truly truly believed in my sound i truly believed in that sound in general you know i didn't set out to do this stuff to be cool or anything like that i truly wanted to make a difference show the world something that that they had never heard before in a sense you know or at least my version of it and then once you did that once you de 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 designed your own sound and started to make a name for yourself you had to venture into the business side of the music industry obviously it's a business it's uh, it's an enter it's entertainment business were there any correlations to what you learned being 
an actor or doing that side of entertainment that you were able to incorporate into this new chapter, ranging from networking, ranging from even just legalities in terms of lawyers and agents and managers? Are there other distinct differences and similarities? Uh, I'm, I'm very much a true believer in everything happens for a reason. So I got into acting, I was going on auditions, I was getting rejected a whole bunch in acting class. My scene was bad. My acting coach would just rip me a new one in front of the whole entire class. In the beginning stages of, of all of that, I was very embarrassed. I didn't really know how to take criticism like that. Years and years of being in acting class, I didn't realize it was training for everything I would be doing in the music industry. So for example, if I send demos to a specific label that I want to be on, a lot of producers that I know, they get so anxious waiting to hear back from their their dream label. And then they get so defeated if it's a no from their dream label, you know, and they don't even really know how to cope oh, with it. Yeah, yeah, bro, you've been in that ring. Oh, you, dude. You know, you've, you've, wore those, you've worn those gloves. Yeah, man. And, and, and in person, too, you know, when you can see it on the casting director's face or if you make it to a producer session, you could see it on the, every single producer's face if you didn't do a good job, you know? So that's, that's real-time feedback. They're basically saying, like, yeah, you suck. But you develop thick skin over the course of years of doing that, right? So mm -hmm. even if I get a rejection from a label that I really want to be on, I know that it's not forever. It's just this project that I made, this EP that I made, doesn't fit the label right now. I have this determination to just keep on going, keep on going, until I get my music signed on a label that it perfectly fits, right? What I also didn't realize acting was training me for, I used to be... I used to be so shy prior mm -hmm. to, to acting class. I was like, I felt, I feel like I had social anxiety disorder. I had a hard time speaking in front of large groups. When the spotlight was on me, you know, I would, I would feel all this, like literally my, my, my body temperature would just rise up and I'd get so nervous, right? After years and years of being in acting class, I realized that now thanks to music, I'm being interviewed a lot, you know, for big publications, stuff like mm -hmm. that phone interviews, podcast interviews, like I was on Ellie Weekly's podcast a few months ago. If I did not have all of that training in acting class, I don't think I'd be able to handle myself in the manner that I can today. Even though there was a specific time where I thought, man, I just wasted so much time in <laughs> acting class and auditioning and for what, because now I'm in music. I realized actually I was supposed to be there because that all of that training was setting me up for now. Yeah, I really think that has to do with hard work and specificity. I had a teacher, a writing teacher in college that was like, if you want to do anything, do it, do it a lot and be specific. And it's because of Ricardo's specificity and how he lasered in, pun intended, into this thing that he's doing. And he like even, you know, he probably sat up. How much doubt do you have? You, you've accomplished a great many things, but accompanied with that is a, is a substantial amount of doubt, you know, and how do you fight that doubt? It's crazy how much doubt even, you know, it doesn't matter how many, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. about all the accolades. It doesn't matter how many festivals I've played. It doesn't matter any of that. There's, there's still this bit of doubt that always creeps in when you're like, 
what if what if I'm just in a, it's almost like imposter syndrome. What if this is the best thing I've ever made and it just it's not going to get any better from here, you know? Mm-hmm. Or things like okay, I have a set coming up. Like, what if I mess up? Mm-hmm. What if people don't like my music anymore? All of this stuff. And the funny thing is about this doubt thing. Like, I'll make tracks and I'll be like, you know what? This song sucks. Like this. Like literally, this is trash. I can't believe. I can't believe I thought this was good. And for example, some of the songs that I have personally liked the least that I produced have gone on to be some of my bigger hits, like my like my fans' favorites. And I'm just mm-hmm. so confused when that happens. So that I've learned from those moments where I'm like, okay, I hate this track, but this label wants to sign him, like whatever, I'll just put it out anyways. And then, you know, for, for example, for example, I had this track, it was called Uncanny Valley. I personally didn't think it was that cool. But I decided to enter it in Insomniac's Discovery Project uh, competition. Mm -hmm. And this is like a nationwide competition. I entered it last year. And literally, literally, in my mind, I'm like, well, I I lost that automatically because that track's actually (laughs) not that great. (laughs) I ended up winning the whole thing. And I was like, what? This song, of all the songs that I made, this song won me the Discovery Insomniac's Discovery Project? That's crazy. So... So whenever doubt creeps into my mind, I think of moments like that where I'm like, you know what? I'm not the one to be the judge of my own creation. That's for everyone else that I make it for. You know what I mean? So I always tell myself, just calm down. You're never as bad as you think you are and you're never as good as you think you are. You're somewhere in the middle. Just stay humble. Keep it moving. Don't let those negative thoughts come in your way because you've been doing great this far. I don't know if I deserve this, but I know I deserve this. this is, <laughs> but it materialized because he he puts the he puts the work in, and and I want to just briefly talk about that. Um, even though that's probably the biggest part, you know, is the work. What programs do you use? What programs do you like? And what kind of time do you put into one track? Like I said before, I learned Logic, Apple's mm-hmm. Logic, and I learned mm-hmm. Ableton Live when I was in music school. For me, Ableton is much faster in being able to get out your ideas. The workflow is just is just better in my opinion. So I use I personally use Ableton for producing all of my music currently. I think within this year I'm gonna switch so everything's done on a MacBook. I use Ableton on Mac, but I think I'm gonna switch to a PC and I think I might be switching to FL Studio, but that's besides the point. Ableton mm-hmm. is what I use currently. Um, what was the other, what was the other part of the question? How much time do you put into say one? Oh yeah. How much time do I put into one track? Well, if I don't have a deadline for that track, it's really, really, really easy to fall into the tweak everything here, tweak everything there. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. So I try to, I try to put self-imposed deadlines. Like say if if it's not a remix, it's my own original stuff. I'll try to put self-imposed deadlines, but I'm not the fastest producer in the world. You know, I, I'm not like, I heard Skrillex can just crank things out left and right. I have friends who just crank things out in two hours and it's like the best song I've ever heard. I'm not mm-hmm. that person. So it usually takes me, I don't know, one to two weeks to finish one track, if not longer, actually, now that I think about it. So anywhere from right. one to three, on one to three weeks, but, but my music's a bit different. It has a lot of layers. Like I said before, it's a, it's a much different sound. So, so I really take my time with it. I want... I want every single track that I make, though it's hard hitting, it's driving, it has a sexy, sexy, deeper sound. 
Yeah. I want every single piece of music I make to be some, to represent some form of being the soundtrack to interstellar travel. Whether it's, for example, like when I'm making these, these songs, I see many movies in my head about traveling through space and, hey, I came across this planet in my spaceship and this planet is really beautiful. It has nice, you know, fauna or, or it has, has nice flora mm. and really, really interesting fauna walking around, but everything's peaceful. So I might make a track that is the soundtrack to that landscape. But then, you know, if I'm just thinking about what, what would it be like if I was a captain of, of my own ship, you know, like the Star Trek Enterprise, and then I come across all of these hostile beings, this army, this is how I think of music. Literally, if I'm, if I'm the captain of my own fleet and we're just traveling through <laughs> space and we come across these host, this hostile fleet of beings and like a war breaks out, what would that sound like? So I just, I just score these, these six to seven minute um, uh, tracks. Yeah, opuses, <laughs> basically. Because all my tracks are anywhere from six to seven minutes long. Basically, every single track that I make is just a little mini movie score and that movie is only playing in my head. I know it sounds really crazy, but that's how I envision music. So, so that's how I paint. I just paint with frequency. And when I'm painting with frequency, it's always to sort of this vision that I have in my mind. Awesome. And so let's get into your name real quick. Uh, we don't have a ton more time, but I have a couple more questions. Would your name be on the front of your ship what is your name again? How do you pronounce it correctly? And mm -hmm. give us a little backstory to that name and how it works into your sound. Yes. So I go by Anakim. It is spelled A-N-A-K-I-M. And the Anakim are a race of giants that have been spoken about in biblical text. Uh, they're mentioned a few times across the Bible. Um, and what the story is behind them it's kind of a deep story, so I'll, I'll try to, to summarize it fast enough. The Anakim are supposedly descendants of the Anunnaki. And if you know who the Anunnaki are, they supposedly are an ancient race um, who come from the planet Nibiru. And supposedly, and you guys can research this too if you Google uh, Planet X, supposedly there is a 13th, uh, or I forgot what number of planet, but supposedly there is a rogue planet in our solar system that has an elliptical orbit. And the ancient Sumerians wrote in their tablets 5,000 years ago, they wrote about these beings called the Anunnaki who visited from the planet Nibiru because Nibiru was closer to the Earth back then. Nibiru has something like a 5,000-year elliptical orbit in in our solar system. This is all all hypothetical, right? But I really, really enjoyed the story of the Anakim and how they are descendants of these giants from Nibiru and the Anakim were left over here um, from planet Nibiru. So, uh, and also they're mentioned in the Bible. I was like, okay, that's all pretty cool. They have origins in space. My music is sort of soundtrack and the hard hitting vibey soundtrack to interstellar travel. It works perfectly. Also, Anakim starts with an A. So if I'm ever on a festival, bill, I'm always going to be, if it's in alphabetical order, I'm always going to be at the very front, alphabetically, top line. So yeah, so it, it just all worked out. It's so interesting to hear. And <laughs> the, it, because it, you, you make 
dance music, right? Yeah. But this is how much detail goes into being successful at something. You really have to get in between every beat, every snare, every hi-hat, and every mm-hmm. every bass decibel and figure out what that note and what that beat stands for and how you, it, it, that represents you and your music. Mm-hmm. And it, it's incredible. And so We The Project is putting a whole bunch of creatives together in entertainment so that they can showcase who they are, what they bring to the table. If they have a movie to produce, they can connect all of the dots inside the site itself, on the platform itself. And there's probably going to be no shortage of interesting filmmakers and films out there, short films, etc. cetera. Um, and to anyone listening to this, you know, that's pr- trying to put a film together that has anything to do with space whatsoever, please uh, connect with this man. How can anyone find you on any of the socials, Ricardo? So across all my socials, uh, my handle is Anakim Music, A-N-A-K-I-M-M-U-S-I-C. So across all my socials, it's Anakin Music. I am most responsive on Instagram. So if you send me a DM on Instagram, um, I will respond pretty quickly. But uh, but yeah, that's how you can get at me. I want to thank you for for your journey and sharing it with us. And thank you for being um, a friend of mine, both creatively and personally, and taking a, an evening of your time to tell us about your journey. And can you just tell us real quick what you're doing tomorrow? I know you kind of have a show tomorrow. And I know that the business has changed drastically because people communing right now to dance is something that's not taking place. And so because of that, there are a lot of performances that you are doing virtually. So I believe you're doing one tomorrow. And why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So for uh, everyone who's listening, I have released on this label called Desert Hearts Black. It is the sub label of Desert Hearts. And if you are from Southern California or even beyond, the Desert Hearts crew are a crew of DJs originally from San Diego who have over the last, what, like eight years or so, really, really changed the dance music scene in Southern California and the dance music culture in Southern California. So due to COVID, obviously clubs aren't aren't around. Obviously festivals have been canceled. Everything has, every sort of DJ performance has had to go to the live stream, go to usually Twitch is, is the platform that we all use. But tomorrow I will be uh, the special guest on the Desert Hearts Black live stream. And uh, they, the crazy thing to me is that they on their live stream pull anywhere from like 5,000 to 14,000 viewers every weekend per stream. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they stream every single Friday, right? That's more viewers than I would get playing a huge stage at like EDC or, or Coachella or, or anything like that. So the internet's a wild place. But yes, I will be live streaming with Desert Hearts Black tomorrow 
Well, yeah, that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, get on over to his socials. Get on over to all of the streaming platforms. He is live and direct on all of those things, all of this magical music, all of this intergalactic space music that he makes is ready for you to digest. And uh, I look forward to you finding him, loving his music, and seeing him on a stage or on your screen at some point in the near future. Once again, this is Matt McManus with We The Project's Roll Call, where we talk to an interesting entertainment professional every week. And this has been a fantastic episode with Anakeem. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Roll Call podcast brought to you by We The Project. If you are interested in becoming a part of the We The Project community, you can head over to wetheproject.com and sign up for our newsletter. Thank you to Whiteheart Grove Productions, a partner in post-production for the Roll Call podcast. Produced by Petros Media.